I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to both. Today we speak to comedian Angela Barnes about comedy, Radio 4 and her hosting of the satirical news show, News Jack. Today's intro track is by the band Outcast. Spotty Otti Diplotticus, a song with a monumental horn refrain that has quite simply been sampled and sampled. It sits on the crossroads where rap meets driven dub. didn't start doing comedy until you were 33 now i thought comedians were born or were just kind of made funny did you have comedy thrust upon you i kind of did in a way i think i always wanted to do it well i thought what you thought people were born to do it and you would just know if you were supposed to do it yeah and i just thought it was something other people did i mean there, there are so many young comics now i look at them you know doing it when they're 19 and i just think i had nothing to say to the world when i was 19 do you know what I mean? I just, I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have had the confidence. I was shy. I wouldn't have got up there and thought, I, so it took me till I was in my 30s really, till I stopped giving a stuff what anyone else thought. And then, then I could have a go. But what happened exactly at 33, other than you just wanting to not give a stuff anymore? Well, a couple of things really. I, I used to run a comedy night. I used to live in Brighton mm-hmm. and I ran a, a little comedy night down there just because I loved comedy so much. And so I could watch it and, and, and I got to lo- know a lot of comedians. And my dad was a huge comedy fan. Like We used to watch stand-up together, listen to Radio 4 comedy together. That was sort of the thing that we did together. Are you proper, like, posh, middle-class types, then? Not remotely. I love it when I... Because I'm a fan of your Dumpty Dum podcast. And when I listen to you and, uh, and Lucy, like, I am so not posh. I am not Radio 4 demographic at all. <laughs> but, like, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, Linda Smith, the comedian, mm-hmm. because she was the first voice I heard on Radio 4 that sounded anything like mine, you know, that wasn't like a, a Oxbridge-educated male superior voice. 
it was just like, oh, hang on a minute. She sounds like one of my, my cousins or something. You know, she grew up just down the road from where I did. So not hearing voices like yours on Radio 4 didn't feel exclusive? I think back at that time, it just didn't occur to me I, that, that that wasn't fair. It was just like, oh, well, that's just how it is. You know, mm-hmm. Radio 4 is, is this place where posh people that have been to Oxford or Cambridge, that's where they go afterwards, you know. And it just didn't really occur to me when I was young that that was somehow not fair or that, that I wanted to do that. It just never was a thing that was for me. Yeah, it's for me as a consumer. I'd never felt that I wasn't supposed to be listening to it, but it was these frightfully clever people that got to write that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I wasn't one of them. All right, so simple. you're doing this comedy night. It's 2008. Yeah. Go. Yeah. So my dad used to come to the comedy nights. He used to love coming. And then, uh, and he used to say to me all the time, why don't you get up and have a go? And I'd go, don't be stupid, dad. I can't. So I used to do like Amdram and stuff. So I'd done a bit of performing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sadly in 2008, my dad died very suddenly. He had a heart attack and, and passed away. He's only 60. And and that just, some, when something like that happens, it just makes you go, do you know what? Life is really short. And this is something you've always wanted to do. And what's the worst that can happen? If you don't try, you'll never know. And so it was about nine months after he died, I signed up and did a stand-up comedy course at the Comedia Comedy Club in Brighton. And uh, and that was that, really. I, I just sort of, I went and did it, not with a view of going, oh, one day this could be my career, but it was, I just wanted to have a go and see if I could do it. What's the uh, first thing you've learned on that first day, on that course? One of the first things that I learned, I think, was that there's no it's very difficult to teach comedy actually and there, there was no guarantees that by doing a course you were going to come out the other end as a comedian that mm. actually what they could do was give you tools they could give you uh, advice on things like stagecraft you know how to be on stage how to use a microphone really practical stuff like that and they could give you you know ideas of how to begin writing you know some writing exercises maybe but actually, a comic is something that's hard to just create. I think there's part of you that has to already be a comic. I think it was Stephen Fry had this brilliant uh, way of describing the two things that make somebody a comedian. And that is, one is crippling low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Two is, but still needing to show off. <laughs> sort of a weird combination of things. If you've got both of those things, then you're a comic. <laughs> then you've got it in you. So do you channel any one of those two things specifically into your routines and if so how do they manifest themselves i mean the crippling low self-esteem thing i think it is a sort of common thread amongst comics but i think particularly british comics we are good at self-deprecating that's sort of our thing Mm -hmm. for a lot of us and and i never really knew that that was what i was doing until i got to a point where i started my performances started to get reviewed and then reviewers would always call me self-deprecating or they'd call me world-weary. And I was like, well, I had no idea I was those things, but I suppose I suppose I am, you know. When I sort of look back at the stuff I was writing, it's like, yeah, I am the butt of most of my jokes. But then in British comedy particularly, that tends to be the way. We're quite a low-status uh, nation of comedians. You know, we, we laugh at ourselves quite well. That, because we've got a little bit of an international audience here, right? So... Um, Describe comedians from other bits of the globe. You know, what are, what are American comedians like in, in terms... And just be totally glib and generalise. Yeah. I mean, again, this is being glib and, and generalising because obviously each comic has their own little thing and their mm-hmm. own 
of being funny. But I do. I noticed it particularly. I, I spent six weeks in New Zealand this year, mm-hmm. and I took my show that was called Come As You Are. I think you saw it. The show I did last year. I did. Which was very much about sort of self-image and and kind of how I see myself and and talking about when I was younger and things. And it's very sort of and in fact in the show I talk about what it means to be self-deprecating and how I embrace that because I think it's good to laugh at your flaws. And when I was in New Zealand, I found that I had to add a bit into the show, kind of giving that audience permission to laugh with me. Because when I first did the show, I thought they were going to stage an intervention. You know, they were <laughs> genuinely concerned for my my psychological well-being. And I had to sort of give them permission to go, oh, no, this is just this is just what we're like. You know, I, I, I will say some horrible things about myself but they're jokes you know and I'm fine I don't I'm not about to jump off a cliff whereas to a British crowd well they're expecting it they're expecting you to take the mickey out of yourself because that's sort of what we do and I think I mean I've never done stand-up in the States I've watched a lot of American comics obviously online and, and there's some brilliant American comics I think often the way I would describe it is is they tend to do more of stuff uh, about other people so it'd be like look at these people look how they're behaving aren't they idiots yeah Whereas a British comic is more, look at me, look how I'm behaving, aren't I an idiot? Now, before you go out, do you have any kind of set routines? Do you like pace around in your dressing room? Are you kind of, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror, looking deep into your psyche? Tell us about that headspace that you need to get into before you go out and perform. It very much depends on the gig. If it's a gig where I'm nervous, I have to take myself away from anyone else who might also be nervous. Because if, if, for example, you're doing a big showcase and there's lots of you on the bill, I have that sort of nervousness that sweeps everyone along with me and I feel terrible for that. So somebody might be feeling fine about their gig and then I come along and I'll just make them nervous by being nervous near them and telling them, oh, isn't this terrifying? Why are we here? What are we doing this for? We used to have proper jobs. And then suddenly they're nervous. So the best thing I can do for anyone else on a bill is to just hide <laughs> and, and be on my own with my nervousness. I am a bit of a pacer mm-hmm. uh, before a gig and I'll sort of go through in my head what I'm intending to, to say, you know, what set I'm intending to do or which jokes I think will work. You know, if somebody else has been on before you, you might get an idea of what that particular audience what sort of things they're going for and what sort of things they're not. So you might be like, oh, they like the rude stuff, I'll put some more rude stuff in. Or, oh, they like the slightly more political stuff, I'll put some more of that in. I spend a lot of time before I go on looking at the audience to try and second guess them a bit and often get it wrong, obviously. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't at all. Now, oh, um, <laughs> on this show, we play a little bit of music as well as chatting to interesting people. Now, I know that you like the entertaining Miss Steinway by Philip Jays. Now, um, how and why does that help get you um, in the right frame of mind to go out and perform? It's so. This song is um, it's by a guy called Philip Jays, who um, he used to play a lot in in Brighton, where I was living uh, when I started doing comedy. And I used to go and see him live. I, I used to volunteer at a venue uh, and like do their box office and stuff. And he was often playing there. And I just loved his music. It's kind of a folk gypsy sort of of music. This particular song that he would do, I really loved it. And I and I had it on my iPods and I would listen to it all the time. And, and there's just something uplifting about it. And like I can't sing to save my life, but this is a song I will sing along to. And it just really gets me in a good mood. And in 2011, I did the um, it was a BBC New Comedy Awards, and it was on the day of the final. 
And I listened to this song over and over again. It really put me in a good mood and got me sort of fired up, ready for the, the gig. And then I ended up winning the award. And so I really associate this song with putting myself in the right frame of mind to go and be a comic, you know, and go and, and perform. So I will often listen to it. If I've got a gig I'm scared about, or, you know, I've, I've just thought of, oh, I can't believe, what am I doing here? How did this happen? I listen to that song, so it reminds me of that day when everything changed, really. So, yeah, I love it. Tell me the best line in that track. Oh, God, now you're putting me on the spot. Like, I have to remember what the lyrics are. You said <laughs> I, you sing along to it. I do, but I can't, like, I just sort of know it as I sing it. Now now you've put me on the spot. I'm just thinking, God, what are the lines in the track? I, I like the whole conceit of the song, this thing of don't disturb me today. It's just me and my piano. It's just me and Miss, I'm entertaining Miss Steinway. I love that kind of imagery and it's quite a jazzy song for me I'm not really mm. that's not usually my kind kind of thing but I just I don't know it makes me the swells in it are really good yeah you've asked me to pick a line now and I'm absolutely failing to do that if anyone should call by your phone say Mr. Jays is not at home tonight I'm entertaining Miss Steinway She's rustled up Some double bass Keep a smile Upon my face Tonight I'm entertaining Miss Steinway She's brought along the entourage Some rhythm and some jazz guitars I'll sing the songs you bang your drums Well, like this light till morning comes She can jazz it, razzmatazz it Any old way, Miss Steinway has it Just let her play, satisfaction's guaranteed She'll string you up 
Um, in terms of now, comedians have their routines, right? But I'm, I'm a sloppy bugger, me, right? I can't deliver the same line in the same way day after day, um, and make it sound spontaneous and authentic. How, yeah. how do you manage to do that? So you always know you're going to get that laugh because if you say it in a, the same line in a slightly different way, it doesn't. It could have a different meaning and not get that laugh. Absolutely. And it, and it is as, as something as small as changing a word in a setup to a joke can completely change how that joke is perceived by an audience. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it is, it is sort of key. Once you've honed a joke and you've worked out the best way of, of saying it to get the best laugh from an audience, you kind of stick with that way. The whole conceit of being a comedian is an audience wants to think, that you're saying these things to them for the first time and they're hearing them for the first time. Mm. And that is part of, of the conceit of a, of a comedian is that it's all, you know, just occurred to you, this stuff. But I know when a joke that's in my set has run its course because you sort of get to a point where if I'm bored of saying it, an audience will pick up on that and it won't get the laugh it used to get because there's no energy behind it. There's no, you know, you just get to a point with a, a routine or a joke where you're like, I can't say these words anymore. I'm so bored of them. And then that translates into the performance and then it stops working and you have to drop it from your set. There are some jokes that you just, you don't get feel that way about. There's some routines that, that last longer than others. There are variables in comedy. It's not like doing a play where you're, you know, everything is exactly the same every night. Mm -hmm. Because with, with stand-up comedy, there's an expectation from the audience that the audience is involved, whether you like it or not. They're there and they're in it and you are talking directly to them. There's not as much of a fourth wall as there is in a play. So, you know, things might happen in the audience that completely change that experience from the night before. You might be doing exactly the same jokes, but somebody in the audience drops a glass or somebody heckles or somebody does something that you as the comic on stage, you can't ignore it like you might in a play. You have to address it. So that is what makes the live experience of comedy so much richer and better than watching it on TV. Mm. Every audience gives it a different you know something different will happen and that and that's what makes it exciting to still do otherwise I'd be bored of it I like the fact that you just got to read whatever happens in the room and, and deal with it one of the things which I really take from you and you've kind of underlined it in our chat today is that you draw deep from within yourself and I think that's definitely been one of the veins of comedy in let's say in the last 10-15 years whereas in the 80s with your Ben Elton's etc it, everything was always political with a big P. It was all politics, politics, you know, and yeah. anti-Thatcher. Do you think in this kind of age of Trump and Brexit that we're going to have um, maybe a return to that type of politics? And do you think that that will be reflected in some of the output of your show, Newsjack? 
yeah, it's funny how you get put in a box as a comic because, you know, you're a topical comic, you're a political comic, you're this, that and the other. And I, I think you can be all of those things. I, I talk very much about me personally. I'm very engaged with the news and what's happening in the world. So it does affect me personally when things happen in the news. And, and so when I write topical material, it tends to be my, very much my take on it. You know, very much from from what I what I feel about that news story will be obvious from the jokes that I write, rather than just a list of Twitter jokes that that could have been written by anybody. I like to when I watch a comedian to come away feeling I know a little bit about them and where they're coming from. Now, Newsjack is I'm so excited about it, but it's also daunted because it's such a brilliant show. It's on Radio Four Extra, mm-hmm. and it's um, a, a topical sketch show, um, and it's open submission, so anyone can send in jokes you know, that are on the news that week, and they might be included in the show. I mean, they get inundated with jokes and sketches, but they genuinely do use jokes and sketches that have been submitted by the public so each show will open with me doing say five minute monologue on on the news that week you know on a particular story that's taken my interest or so to differentiate between you know the jokes that people are sending in that are general jokes about the news I think it's important to me that 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 little monologue at the top is is my bit about what I think about what's happening in the news that the previous hosts of the show have been absolutely brilliant at that like I've got tough acts to follow the last host was Nish Kumar who was is was he's not dead um, <laughs> absolutely yeah 2016 hasn't taken him yet as far as i know um was absolutely brilliant at that you know you knew from listening to his monologue exactly where he was coming from and it didn't matter if it was slightly biased or whatever because the whole show is is balanced as a whole but as the host of it you get to put your stamp on it really and and sort of clear what what you make of the world that that you're presenting so it's it's really exciting and kind of daunting but I can't wait to get stuck in so can we say then that even though 2016 has been somewhat of a crappy year for (laughs) uh, for most of us but for you it's been the end of somewhat of a kind of tumultuous journey whereby you've not only learnt how to drive uh, yeah. you've got yourself a new flat you've been travelling around the world you're an, you're an international comedian and now you're yeah. actually hosting a show on radio for the the British institution that you fell in love with all those years ago yeah i mean it's been a mad year for me and and it's funny how sort of globally this year has been so awful you know and and just really you know in my private life I'm having a cracker of a year so you feel almost guilty for going well actually you should it's been all right for me (laughs) (laughs) turns out when the world goes tits up I'm having quite a good time um the news now just happens so quickly you know and you go back six months and the world was a different place like somebody like Trump being elected people say oh that surely that's a gift to comedians you're like well kind of is but also he's done all the jokes himself like he's left nothing for us you know <laughs> when somebody is that sort of just an unusual figure and and you know when he writes stuff on twitter or he you know releases youtube videos and all the stuff you're like well leave something for us mate because it's yeah you're a gift to comedians you've given us a box of chocolates and you've eaten all the chocolates you know that that so he's quite difficult to satirize somebody who is ultimately ridiculous so it's been a strange year for that but like you say my personal life yeah things are I worry my age are worried I think when I when I settled down with my fellow and we got a flat and everything he was like you're gonna be too happy now 
<laughs> Happiness doesn't make good comedy. <laughs> so the fire is still burning, Miss Barnes. I think so. Good. I think so. Fantastic. Now, before we completely say goodbye to you and play a little bit more music, you have to tell people how they can find and follow you on social media. Okay. Well, I'm on Twitter at Angela Barnes, um, and my, I've got a website which is angelabarnescomedy.co.uk, which I try and remember to update with my live dates. I'm not always brilliant at it, but bear with me. Um, but on Twitter, I do tend to post where I'm heading for shows and stuff. Uh, Newsjack will start. I think the first episode's on the 25th or 26th of January. Uh, on BBC Four Extra, and that runs for six weeks. That series, um, and then I'll be heading to the Edinburgh Fringe in the summer. So if anyone's heading that way, do do come along and see my new show when I've hopefully written it. Thank you, Angela Barnes. Thanks for having me, Roy Phil. Tomorrow Never Knows is sonically one of the best ever Beatles tracks. Released from the album Revolver, it started the band's experimental phase. It's part psychedelic rock, part trippy Indian-inspired 90s big beat. Liquid Spirit is the third studio album by American jazz musician Gregory Porter. Gregory celebrated as one of jazz's biggest new stars of the last four years. This is the title track.
that liquid spirit, that soul, that energy. You know what I'm talking about. I want it right here. Unreroute the rivers, let the damned water beat. There's some people down the way that's thirsty, so let the liquid spirit free. The people are thirsty because of man's unnatural hand. Watch what happens when the people catch wind, when the water hits the banks of that hard, dry land. Clap your hands now. Head and clap your hands now. Clap your hands now. Go ahead and clap your hands now. Mm-hmm. Get ready for the wave. It might strike like a final flood. The people haven't drank in so long. The water won't even make mud. After it comes, it might come with a steady flow. Grab the roots of the tree down by the river. Dip your cup when your spirit's low. Clap your hands now. Go ahead and clap your hands now. Clap your hands now. Clap your hands now. Dip down and take a drink. And fill your water tank. Dip down and take a drink. And fill your water tank. I hope you enjoyed this week's Friday 15. Remember, please go on to iTunes and write us a little review because uh, we need to get up those iTunes charts. Uh, you can contact me by sending me an email where I'm quite simply royfield at gmail.com. Follow our page on Facebook. You can go there and just type in Friday 15 and you can see the progress of the show. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that where I am at royfield. That has been me. There's one more Friday 15 this year. See you again next Friday for 50 minutes of chat and 50 minutes of great music. Unreroute the rivers, let the damned water beat. There's some people down the way that's thirsty. Let the liquid spirit free. The folk are thirsty because of man's unnatural hand. Watch what happens when the people catch wind of the water hidden banks of hard dry land. Clap your hands now. Clap your hands now. Go ahead and clap your hands now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Drop your hands now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 